The world didn't need another hockey podcast. It needed a better one. Bear witness to the two-man forecheck. Good morning, Chris. Good morning, Mike. We have we have seen another draft enter the books. 218 number of players have entered the NHL officially, having hit a new peak in their career uh, by being drafted. Um, there's still a lot of hope for at least two dozen uh, young men that they will probably end up on an NHL roster at some time as undrafted players. And some of those undrafted players have gone on to become Hall of Famers, uh, all-stars, certainly. Um, but certainly good defensemen, you know, Tory Krug comes to mind. Uh, there was this really little guy who played in uh, Tampa Bay for a while who was kind of undrafted as well. Little guy, huh? I mean, there are certainly some little guys. There was um, some guy named Marty. Yeah, that would be the one I was thinking of. Mr. St. Louis. That's the one. And then there was this uh, redheaded goaltender who played uh, who played in the AHL for a long time. And then during the lockout, he was in Europe and won a championship. And then they kept trying to replace him every single season uh, when he was on his uh, on his NHL team. Um, you know, they brought in a guy with major knee injuries uh, who played all of three games in two seasons. Um, then they had a guy who had you know, bad abdominal muscles who didn't play a game after February and still got his name on the cup. Uh, and, you know, three or four other guys who he just had to climb over at, you know, all of five ten, being generous uh, to uh, to win in a four year span, two Vesna trophies, a uh, a Stanley Cup. And, yeah, the uh, Conn Smythe. Not 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 some Thomas guy. That is his name. I just couldn't remember. Is that his first name or his last name, though? It, it's definitely one of those two. Um, okay. Unless it's not. Unless it's not. <laughs> By the way, not for anything, but both of those players played their college hockey in New England. UVM. Yeah. Just saying, uh, another another notch in the in the hockey East or just in the Northeast regions cap another couple oh, absolutely there. or for that matter ncaa college hockey i mean college hockey has turned into the largest proving ground even if it's not necessarily where most players do the most of their development on ice it seems to be a finishing school whatever they're studying and whether they're doing it very well or not it seems to be a finishing ground or finish or so for a lot of players. I mean, Charlie McAvoy was a one and done, uh, but I don't think he could have made the jump from his previous team to the NHL uh, as well, even if he'd played another year uh, in, in in junior hockey. He didn't spend any time in the minors before playing for the Bruins, did he? No. Uh, there, look, the two of us have been referring to Hockey East as the pre-NHL for a decade at this point. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, it, it's... I mean, you stop and you look at all the teams that we have, and, and even the teams that aren't in Hockey East, they're in ECA, ECAC or whatever, but, you, I mean, you've got the Harvards, and, and 
yeah, Northeastern. Uh, the kids that come through here that move on and are hockey ready, Kale McCarr stepping right in. I um, apologize. Charlie McAvoy spent two years at BU, um, having Adam. played previously on the for the USHL's um, national development or uh, under eighteen and under seventeen teams. Right, but it, it, again, stepping right in, yeah, to Kale McCars, Adam Fox, Norris Trophy winner. Correct. I mean, it, 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 and these are kids that stepped right in. Adam Fox didn't spend any time or, or very little time in the AHL with the Rangers. I mean, uh, so yeah, this would definitely be a and another and and obviously there are other schools and we'll get into that one particular school. Uh. <laughs> Jack Eichel, uh, he spent a year at B, at BU. And jumped right into the Sabres. It's just, yeah, as as we've been saying all along, kids come here with the expectation or with their eye on the prize of being in the NHL. And this is one of those areas. And again, as we've said before, the M's, Michigan, Minnesota, uh, that sort of north central. Yeah, Massachusetts, but that's north. But the, the the North Central or Central North, I don't know how to describe it. Well, the Plain States, yeah. You either go there or you go here. I mean, yes, there are other schools that have. I mean, you got Arizona has has given us a couple of, of decent prospects, and and even Grant even was it Grambling. I mean, there are other schools. Miami of Ohio has certainly been a good school. Um, So you're either going to hockey East or the big 10. In a lot of ways. Yeah. I mean, which is Wisconsin, Miami of Ohio, Michigan, Minnesota. And then there's a couple of schools out in the Colorado area. That's what EC. That's not ECAC. That's, um, but you know, there's Colorado College, there's Denver, oh, Denver, or, Colorado, yeah. Uh, yeah. But it's it's really fascinating to see where so many hockey players are coming from, and after what a decade or two off of being a top state, Massachusetts has jumped up and is swinging above its uh, its weight class uh, in the last six or seven years. Um, I mean, Matt Grizzlick, four years at BU. And still spent some time in Providence before coming up to the Bruins. He did spend a full season in in Providence, which I found somewhat surprising. Um, but I think it was also a matter of him being a really smaller guy and them wanting him used to the, the schedule after an injury-shortened uh, senior year. Fair enough. But let's uh, we've got a lot to cover. Um, There's been a huge number of interesting trades in the last week or so that we just haven't gotten to. Obviously, the NHL draft uh, is it was just concluded. And this week on Wednesday, uh, free agency begins. Where do we want to start? I don't know. They had the, the NHL put on this little show over the last couple of days where some of these guys who are going to college and going to the OHL and are hoping to play further along. I know that that draft thing that happens. 
Yeah, let's start there. Uh, do we want to start with the absolute um, questionability of a certain division rivals first pick, or do we want to just give an overall uh, view? I just, I, I mean, my first comment, and it, it's an obvious one, my first comment was just going to be about the ability of one school to have five picks in the in the first round and have four picks in the first five, and that would be the University of Michigan, because Owen Power, number one, Matt Beniers, Matty Beniers, number two, um, Kent Johnson, number five, and oh, by the way, Luke Hughes is committed to Michigan. He went at number four, and we're going di- to dig into family members in hockey at, at some point. But if you and, haven't figured it out, boys and girls, Chris is a very big Michigan fan. <laughs> and then Sam Escavich, who actually went at number 30 or 29, also going to the University of Michigan. I mean, it's it says something that a school's recruiting is able to produce or, or evaluate this kind of talent and have all of it come to a – I mean, obviously, we talk about the Northeast. We talk about the the, the the central states there. And it's just impressive. My question is, how is Mel Pearson going to get them all enough ice time? <laughs> That's fortunately not my responsibility. Um, I think I think we can. I think I'm going to make my pre preseason prediction of Michigan wins a national championship. But I mean, that's why they're right. And that's why they're all going back. I think Kent Johnson has already said Owen Power said that he wanted to, but then as the number one overall, it's tough to tell your club that you that drafted you that you're going to go back to school with that one. Um, Matty Beniers has said he's wanted to go. They all want to go back and win that elusive national title. So, and in fairness, I think that particularly for the clubs drafting. Very, uh, very early. I think it's probably a good thing for for them both in in confirming evaluation of this being the type of ambitious, physically talented player that helps win championships that they want to go back. And we still don't know what this year is going to look like. Everyone's hoping it's going to be back to pre-pandemic, but we don't know. And burning a year of the entry uh, of the entry level contract uh, to have the season disrupted and only play 20 games um, and stunt development, whereas at least in college, there's going to be high focus on the on training um, and access to such. Uh, I think that I think that this is a smart move for those kids. Well, and if be- they do win. It just brings more believability to the team uh, when they walk into the locker room. And let's face it, if they if those guys can go to their go to back to Michigan and win a championship, their teams have another year. Yes, where they're going to not necessarily do as well. But we've seen some hesitance, some hesitancy for people returning to the public spaces whether it's the movie theaters or uh, or other forms of entertainment. So we might not see sellout crowds even in cities where they're normal um, this season. I think I think in a lot of ways another year uh, and getting those kids that 
extra year of development, plus theoretically keeping you in high draft position for what's hopefully a better draft next year, uh, is is a big thing. It's. Well, I mean, I was gonna, I was gonna simplify it a little bit and just say that you look at where they were drafted. Owen Power drafted by Buffalo. Matty Benyers, okay, drafted by Seattle. We don't know what to expect. But I think expectations are certainly lower, uh, certainly not to the level of what Vegas was able to do. What and Vegas was able to do, but not where they were projected. No, nobody expected Vegas to, to end up in the Stanley Cup final in their inaugural season. Not by a long stretch. Luke Hughes, New Jersey, not a very good team. Kent Johnson, Columbus, rebuilding. I mean, for them to go back to school makes more sense than to go to a team that, okay, they will be able to help, but how much are they going? Are they suddenly, their appearance going to suddenly make that team a playoff team, suddenly make that team a, a strong uh, contender every night for a win? I, I think that going back, finishing what they started at Michigan or at wherever it, 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 you know, at this point it is Michigan, but at, at, at any school, I don't think they're hurting themselves by going back and getting another year under their belts. No. And um, then bringing, bringing that experience with them to their parent club, their drafting, their, their, their drafted club at, at a later date. I mean, cause you finished the school year in what March and then, if you really want to, you sign your entry level at that point in time, and you can jump it, right into the NHL. Most likely, yeah, you're gonna, it, especially if you're drafted in this top five in this draft, you're probably gonna jump right in. And none of these, none of these teams are really expected to be in the playoffs this year. I don't expect Michigan. I don't expect Detroit. I don't expect Buffalo. I don't expect whoever in that top five to be. Uh, to be drafting or, or to rather be um, playoff teams in 2022. Very, and my apologies to to Mackie Samuskevich, who was drafted 24th overall by Florida. He's the one player that's actually going to go to a school. I mean, he's he's going to Michigan. He's committed there. It's not like he's already been, but he's the one in the first round that was actually drafted by a team that has an opportunity to get back to the playoffs. <laughs> And they're not necessarily worried about bringing him in straight away because they've already been there and they're bringing in players. And we're going to talk trades in a, in, a, in a few minutes, but they've already brought in Sam Reinhardt. So it's like he's not an urgent part. This draft overall, though, I mean, it, it was a very interesting draft. The, the The 10 kids that we reviewed on Thursday night. Uh, for those who listened, uh, all 10 were drafted. Uh, and between Mike and I, we both did very well as far as, you know, who we evaluated, uh, with the exception of the last two guys, Bryce Montgomery and Tyson Galloway, who were drafted in the 100s. All the other players were drafted no lower than 66. And Sasha Pastajov was actually a surprise that he dropped that far to Anaheim. I mean, I... I looked at this. We looked at this draft and started talking about it. What was it? January? Yeah. And we, I said then this was going to be a flat draft where a lot of players are going to be picked very 
uh, far off from where their where the draft reports put them. And yep, <laughs> there were players drafted as high as the uh, or listed as high as the 50s and 60s who were drafted in the late hundreds, early 200s. There were players dra- uh, listed at 80 who were taken in the top 40 or 45. Um, well, I had Cole, H- for example, I had Cole Hawkins. I, I mean, I had him, in my opinion, he was no better than the fourth rounder. And, and I was thinking in the 100s for him, and suddenly he goes at 77 to Calgary. Now, granted, he played for a Caddy Bathurst, and, and he had a decent season, but he had some things that he needed to work on so yeah evaluations were all over the place with a lot of these kids this year and part of that was worsened by the two years of uh substandard evaluation thanks to the national health concern not being able to not being able to actually go out and see these kids in person because seasons were canceled uh there were tournaments that were created and and showcases that were created just so the kids would have an opportunity to play live in front of scouts seven and ten game tournaments we can't find anything on philip svedback the the goalie literally nothing i I can't find a thing on him i don't know good bad and different i mean there's numbers in hockey db as far as i mean his last save percentage was a 912 last season but this I mean, if we're going to jump into what the Bruins drafted, I would have to say I would have to look at him and say, this is the Bruins off the board leap for the year. They can't help themselves from making at least one of them. (laughs) They just can't. And I'm more comfortable with them not doing it in the first or the second round. Not that they had a second round pick this year, but I don't think one, he was 19 years old and which means he was probably passed over in last year's draft. And two, I don't know that he was ever ranked in either draft because there's nothing. We've checked like six or seven reliable sites and then searched further. There's nothing. Um, It's going to be really fascinating to see what he does um, in in the uh, in dev camp if he if he arrives um, and in the system, you know, assuming he decides to leave Europe. When I looked at this draft, and admittedly, it's it's all speculation until, you know, they hit the ice in the NHL and they played 50 to 100 games before you have any clue uh, for a forward and, you know, 200 plus for a defenseman. But I'm not as alarmed as I normally am for the Boston Bruins. Uh, they picked a, a nice uh, spread of they didn't seem to focus on one position and, and granted outside of what right wings and maybe a, a, some kind of a goalie that but they I mean, they still have two reliable young goaltenders. It's just a matter of can they stand up for a whole season, but they didn't focus their their. They didn't pick all hundred and sixty pound five foot seven. Uh, skilled centers <laughs> for a change. This is true. Fabian Lysel, uh, they actually got themselves a. They actually oh, drafted fairly large. He's probably the smallest if you go by. And that's one of the other things I heard during the draft was that because they haven't been able to evaluate these kids and they didn't have a, they didn't have a, a combine. Uh, yeah. So, 
the numbers that they put out, the numbers that all of the the ranking sites and scouting sites have are all based on what the teams have put out there. So team might put out that the kid's 5'10". He might actually be six feet or he might or he could be six feet and might actually be five, nine. You know, it's yeah, there's no common there's no common measuring stick uh, this time. So, yeah, he's by the numbers that we've seen, Fabian Lysel is the smallest that they drafted at 510. Um I noticed uh, I was surprised with the first pick. I don't know. Not I like Fabian surprised Lysel. because we never pick Sweeney's picks. It just doesn't happen. <laughs> we well, I don't think anyone predicts Sweeney's picks. I don't but think you if can. you look at Fabian uh Lysel, you look at the rest of the draft class. Mm-hmm. Every single one of them was someone that the Bruins took lower than where most draft reports had them. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's true. And earlier this year, we heard them acknowledge that the 2015 draft was muffed. Um, and by extension, that later drafts were also not done all that well. Um, And I wonder if just taking the best available player who they don't have something against this year was an attempt at a course correction. Because we we never heard anything about a change to the scouting staff or a major philosophical reevaluation. But this draft, based on where players were taken compared to where they were ranked and the size of the players looks nothing like a Don Sweeney draft. Okay. I mean, let's go back. I mean, if you go back and look at the 2015 draft, which is, I try so hard not to exactly. (laughs) Even go back to last year's draft, the two of us are watching TV and we have Skype on, or I think we were, may have been using our phones, and who the bleep is Mason Lowry? Who is Trevor Kuntar? Uh, who are these guys? That's literally what we were saying all draft last year. And yeah. I, know the, I know for a fact that in 2019 – we mentioned John Beecher, but like not expected to get him. Quinn Olson, no. Roman Bichkov, no. Uh, look, the two of us saw Manny, uh, Matthias Mantikivi. Yeah. Eh. Uh-huh. Eh. <laughs> I completely forget that Jake Schmaltz is actually a part of the Bruins system. But and still, Mant- easily, easily, easily forgettable. All of them, uh, pretty much all of them are easily forgettable. I mean, the only thing I kept hearing about was how Mason Lowry ended up being like defender of the year in the USHL. Which is great. And sometimes you're going to hit on those off the boards picks. There's I mean, there's no such thing as a safe, safe pick. And go back to 2018. That may be the absolute worst draft uh, of any GM in Boston history. Axel Anderson, awful. <laughs> Jacob Blauko, 
Um, hasn't cracked the NHL yet. Uh, Curtis Wait, Hall. Has, no, he hasn't been up yet, has he? Lauko? I don't believe so. Uh, Curtis Hall is the only one I hold out any hope for, but he's a bottom six forward. Jacob Lauko. Uh, he I remember had, writing about him really fast, uh, decent hands, not. But. but even still, last year at the World uh, World Juniors, he played one game, zero points. Previous year, five games, two points. And back in 18, his draft year, when you'd think he'd be, um, you'd think he'd be all sorts of excited and doing everything possible to uh, pot some points. One goal, one point in six games. So it looks this, like he had a solid year this year in the in the AHL. So maybe he's just a late bloomer. Taking taking uh, taking him a little time to settle in with the level of talent around him. And let's face it, Providence is uh, is stocked uh, like it's not. It's just terrible. Like Providence is not good. Yeah. Uh, Dustin McFall. Defenseman. We knew he was a defensive defenseman when he was signed, but three points in 19 games uh, for Clarkson this year. And Pavel Shen, I don't even believe he's even still officially in the Bruins system. I mean, he played four games for for Providence last uh, 16 games for Providence last year. Is he in the Bruins system like Koklachev is? Uh, Koklachev. Now that was a beautiful (laughs) pick. That had they talked to him twice, they probably would not have made. Because I can see the physical skills. There's nothing wrong with that kid skating. There is zero wrong with his ability to pass. Yes. But that's so many corners, he will never live in a square house. Uh and he's probably never going to play for the Bruins again either, but he's still in the yeah. Bruins system. Uh, as far as Pavel Shen, uh, the Bruins placed him on unconditional waivers back on May 17th, which he cleared on May 18th. Unconditional waivers and his contract will be terminated. So, yeah, uh, no longer a Bruin would be my uh, opinion, unless they re-signed him to some minor league contract, but why would you do that if you're putting him on waivers to terminate his contract? It's not like he was particularly, making... Yeah, particularly when he's already playing in the minors. Yes. So, I it, right now it just lists him as his current team is actually H.C. Sochi. Sochi. Yay. Um, in Russia. So he's back at home in the KHL. Uh, no links to the Bruins uh, anymore at this point. So, yeah, that, again, terrible, terrible. This year's picks, however, I mean, you look at it, size was was obvious. And there was a lot of size in this draft. I mean, a lot of big kids drafted. I don't, I don't remember seeing a draft where there were so many people 6'2", 6'3", or taller. I mean, there were a couple of drafts going back where the, everyone was like five ten or under. It seemed this is this has swung to the opposite extreme. Yes, and it, the Bruins are pretty much the 
the evidence of that as all but two of them are and at 511 how close is he actually to six feet based on what we said earlier but so all the picks were six feet uh, i mean lysel 510 okay great ryan mast six four yeah gallagher was what six two um uh Svedback is six two uh, who else? Uh, Gasso is six four. Yeah. Uh, Gallagher is six feet even. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Brett yeah, Harrison, is, who is this is a beefy draft. Two. Yeah. I mean, maybe at least on the weight wise, and possibly. Uh, I mean, there's been some sp- inconclusive studies that say that high amounts of exercise delay uh, the closing of your growth plates. I don't necessarily believe that. There's also the ones that say high amounts of exercise, particularly resistance exercise, will accelerate the closing of your growth plates. Again, inconclusive. Um, I kind of wonder, at least on the weight side, if some of that, if some of how much heavier a lot of these guys are is simply the fact that they weren't playing as many games and weren't practicing. So some of it is puppy fat and not just uh not pure lean muscle which whatever at their age and their metabolism levels they're going to burn off as soon as they get back to normal practicing um but it also the other great thing about this year a lot of these prospects are going to be as close to completely healthy as possible coming into their development camps and fall uh and wherever they end up in the fall whether they're aiming for the NHL, uh, whether they're going to college, uh, whether they're going to the AHL or wherever. Um, and it's going to be fascinating to see how even, you know, seventh round picks like Ty Gallagher, who's headed off to BU, uh, do. Uh, cause he's a March, he's a March 6th birthday. Um, so he had only turned 18, like three weeks before the, or three months before the draft. And already, you know, what was he? What did I say he was? Six four. Yes. No, six feet and one ninety. That's uh, that's comfortable size. Yeah, I'm I'm good with it. I mean, same thing with Andre Gasso. Uh, I mean, his his birthday was July third. He had been eighteen for two and a half weeks before the draft. Six foot four and two hundred and three pounds. By the way, Gallagher and Gasso both coming to the Northeast to play their college hockey. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Ryan Mast is something of a wild card because he the Bruins drafted him where? In the sixth round, uh, was it? Uh, 181 overall. I believe that's sixth round. Yes. Sixth round. He was ranked as high as number 89 by NHL Central Scouting for North American skaters. 75th overall uh, for McKean's Hockey, um, 94th by Recruit Scouting, a service I haven't taken a, a good look at, mm-hmm. but 276 by FC Hockey, which, again, just this is a very flat draft. I don't know that there's anything like the normal difference between a third-round pick and a seventh-round pick this year. Normally, know, you can – go ahead. I, no, I was just going to say I, – I, I, 
you're looking at, at rankings and everything. I mean, and and yeah, I don't know what the difference is either. I was just gonna, I was gonna basically concur that I mean, you look at where those rankings are, and to have him ranked anywhere from the third to the seventh round, somebody either missed something or somebody saw something that others didn't. I mean, it, it's and it's well, not they just weighted players that they saw more ahead of them, which I can't blame anyone for. And it's not just him. You look at Brett Harrison and Brett Harrison. We drafted in the third round, 85th overall. And yet he's ranked 85th by elite prospects, 53 by FC hockey, 50 by central scouting, 36 by recruit scouting, 52, 59, and then 95 by smart scouting. I mean, we're talking anywhere from second round to fourth. Yeah. I mean, in most drafts, there's the guys taken one through six as the top of the draft. Okay. That number, that bottom number can stretch, that can swing anywhere from one through four to one through 10, or maybe even 12 in a really deep draft. But then there's the second tier, which usually starts like seven to 15, seven to 18. And then you get another spread where everything from 20 to the end of the second round, completely interchangeable. And that third, fourth, and the upper half of the fifth round, essentially the same. I mean, some guys showed better, some guys were healthier, whatever it was. And then that last, the end of the fifth round through the end of the seventh round, it's guys people didn't see much. Long, long projection. You know, you've got a just barely 18-year-old um, who needs to develop more, some some questions of athleticism or guys that you're just legitimately drafting to put into your into your system to keep the roster full uh, at the at say the AHL level or the ECHL level. Um, this year, I don't know for sure that anyone believes that the seventh round is not going to produce is going to produce far less guys who play 300 NHL games than the fourth round. And it's going to be fascinating to watch. I definitely want to look at this draft again in detail. It like six years from now, it's definitely telling from the standpoint of how much scouts were able to lay actual eyes on the players as opposed to just watching video. Uh, how much were they actually able to see them live and and evaluate? Because it, it, clearly seeing them live is, is the best way to do it. And since you can't lay eyes on some of these kids, obviously they're going to drop a little bit. But to have somebody like, yeah, Ryan Mast, who ranked anywhere from the late third to seventh, uh, that's... <clears throat> yeah. That's a huge spread. I mean, wow. That's, and that's what makes drafting fascinating. You know, you can you can put all of the hard numbers into it uh, that you want. You can compare based on assumed values of the league, and it all means nothing. You're going to be more accurate at the top of the draft because you're probably seeing those guys more. But again, we've seen players get passed over 
two or three times uh, or twice in the draft and go on to have Hall of Fame careers. Um, And we've seen players taken in the first round who never play a single NHL game. Not because they, you know, got abducted by aliens, but because they just weren't that good. (laughs) Abducted by aliens. Okay. Uh, one draft pick that surprised many players and quite frankly exposed a huge level of hypocrisy in the NHL community was Logan Malou. Um, what he did was incredibly stupid, insensitive, and quite frankly, not all that surprising. Because of age, maturity? Yes. Okay. I, look, I, I'm involved with a – I've been involved with a youth group as a mentor for my entire adult life. Even the smartest, most intellectual, best-behaved kids who have normal social lives, and that's a small cross-section admittedly, um, but even the most well-grounded – reasonably healthy, attractive young kids, they make stupid decisions. That's part of the whole growing up process is burning your finger and bloodying your forehead on a number of occasions. Crossing over the crossing from 17 to 18 or 20 to 21 doesn't automatically flick your maturity meter up at a couple of more notches. I hope that, Whatever happened between Logan and the the young woman he shared the picture of um, is resolved in the best manner possible. And I'm not quite cynical enough to believe that his withdrawing from the draft or attempting to withdraw from the draft was purely uh, trying to spin it. Well, as they pointed out, he can't. He can't remove – he couldn't possibly remove himself from the draft. I mean it, as long as you meet the criteria, you are you – know, if you or I were under 18 by the certain date, we were eligible for the draft. You can't remove yourself from it. I that's, think, that's true. But, I think what he was asking was teams to not pick him. Yes, which I get. Like whether he didn't – whether he just didn't want to face the press – admirable uh or at least sensible or whether he's genuinely trying to work on his character and make amends to the young woman and anyone else he needs to um is irrelevant but for montreal's general manager mark bergevin yeah to throw a first round pick at him this and if this I, were happening in a vacuum, which it, nature abhors, it, it could have been an accident, but it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be possible to have an accident with who you draft pick. But I don't think it was an accident. I, I'm, oh, I don't either. I. But the kid Tony is a D'Angelo, first level talent. Tony D'Angelo or first round talent. Tony D'Angelo has been excommunicated from hockey, which takes a lot of doing. And we're going to dive into that. But yeah, the New York Rangers basically told him to um, get stuffed 
uh, well over a year ago because of his character issues. He must have done that politely because I don't remember oh, hearing that in the headlines. I, I, I'm sure it was done uh, well away from many cameras and microphones. But they they said that they had no intention of ever letting him play uh, for their team again at any level. They paid him. Then they bought him out uh, this week. Mm -hmm. And Mark Bergevin had gone after Tony D'Angelo after everything came out about Tony D'Angelo. And this was not the incident that pushed New York over the edge was not the first time they were. There was stuff that went back to well before his draft year. We haven't heard that about Logan Malou, but let's go back even further. Once upon a time, Mark Bergevin uh, was a part of the Chicago Blackhawks uh, front office. During that time, Brad Aldrich was molesting young men. They didn't bring his name up at all, by the way. They did not mention his name once, and that's the hypocrisy I'm talking about at, from the NHL as a whole. And yes, I'm calling out Kevin Weeks because he was the first person to address the Malo pick on the ESPN broadcast. Shame on him and shame on everyone else. I, I like Weeks. I respect him. But for none of you to address this situation, just plain vulgar, hypocritical, and it's not solving the problem. The way, it, yeah, the way they jumped all over, and and like you said, it was Weeks who started it, and the other guys joined in. And Sam Cosentino, uh, I don't know if he was trying to play Switzerland in this role or what his game was, but he kept mentioning the fact that oh, he has a daughter, and you know if 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 this happened to my daughter and they drafted this kid, I'd be furious. But on the other hand, this kid is a first round talent and Mark Bergevin is making the pick based on on hockey business and not on personal business. And I mean, he just kept going back and forth. It was like, OK, I believe I believe in second chances. I really genuinely do. I don't think that if would we be talking stupid, about this was a stupid, vanal Act by Logan Malo. Period. It it qualifies as criminal, and we're not going to debate whether it should or shouldn't be. No, we're not. I'm not even going to discuss what level of criminality it is, because we're talking about something that's happening in Europe versus here in the U.S. in whichever state, or Canada in whichever province, mm -hmm. and attempting to address it in any coherent manner would require a battalion of lawyers. And <laughs> I don't need that. And I don't have it sitting in my back pocket. Right. Stupid, venal, and just ignorant. <laughs> my question, and, and not but, really a question, but I don't think this should end his professional life permanently. I think that his idea of, at least a year of non-involvement at the highest level he's eligible for is probably in addition to whatever criminal matters may happen um, enough. And I don't think it will. I mean, I, I, I think that 
the issue was that oh he, he should he should have been left to handle it uh, you know on a personal level would would the would the london knights have would the london knights have helped him out you know with a sports psychologist whatever it was that he needed emotionally uh legally you know what he'd have to do and would we ha- would we be having this conversation if Bergevin or any other team drafted him in the fourth round instead of at the bottom I don't believe of the first? So. I don't believe so. Um, and I that, think it's, that may be good or bad. I think it's where he was taken has triggered this reaction. And unfortunately, you know, unfortunately, yes, there is a situation. It is real. You can't sweep it under the rug. You have to accept it. But you also have to accept the fact that this kid is a first round talent and Mark Bergevin took him in the first round. And, and they most come of out, the other GMs who were supposedly interested said they would take him in the second round. If That said, even though Montreal drafted really late because, you know, they were in the Stanley Cup final, yeah. you can't tell me there weren't three or four other players that they would have taken that there they could have taken in that, that spot. There were other kids that were rated uh, as high or higher. As high or higher. I mean, even and you look down the list and, and the kid that was taken first pick in the second round, Prokhor Poltopov, he had first round talent. Uh, you want to jump down the list even first. Samu Tuomala, Tuomala yep. went 46 to Philly. He was rated. He was rated with first round talent. Aturati. Now, there's other issues with Rati as well, but he was also first round talent. I mean, there's there, there were plenty of choices he could have made. It's interesting to me that Mayu drafted at that point is also a very large 6'3", 212 defenseman. And they uh, just recently uh, discovered and announced that uh, a certain captain will not be playing next season. Yes. Um, we'll get into that in a minute or two. Right. But so I don't know how much that played into it. it I mean, the, 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 the relevancy of they drafted a big D and they're losing a big D. But back to Logan. Yeah, I don't I can't fault Bergevin for taking him where he took in. I can fault I can, him for I can fault him for not thinking it through. I can and I will. I think it was stupid and a long-term pattern of behavior. Uh, I think the long-term pattern of behavior is what stands out most. And yes, the fact that he was involved with the the Brett Aldrich thing Brett. and the fact that it wasn't even brought up does show a huge level of inconsistency and just uh, this ability to sweep things under the rug that you can't do it anymore. You you have to. And the thing is, the NHL as a whole, or NHL players, for the most part, do an enormous amount of community work. Enormous. P.K. Subban, as a player, donated more money to one of the children's hospitals in Montreal while he was playing there than mm-hmm. anyone else in Montreal history. $10 million pledged to that. Uh, pledged to that hospital as soon as he signed his first big contract. That's huge. 
and continued that when he was traded away, if I'm not mistaken. Absolutely. Um, you, you, t- you look at what uh, Andrew Ferentz did off the ice uh, as far as environmental issues and some of the other stuff. You look at the Boston Bruins um, throughout the year, they'll go and they buy Thanksgiving dinners. They do hospital the visits year round. Uh, they do holiday visits uh, over the winter right in the middle of some of the densest scheduling. They the still make time, time for this. The amount of time they spend the, the, the whole team. At Children's Hospital uh, throughout the year is just, I mean. And it, from from a purely marketing standpoint, the NHL should be lighting people on fire and hanging them off of lampposts because let's look at the other sports leagues and how well that they protect and defend or even champion um, victims of sexual violence. The NA, the the NFL is an absolute joke on this regard, whether it's domestic <laughs> violence or sexual violence. They yes, are, they are. They are living in like the 1700s. Uh, it's and that's and that's all on league ownership. Whatever you want to say about the players, and a lot of them deserve a lot of criminal uh, a lot of criminal punishment. Couldn't happen without the. It couldn't continue at the rate it has without the active connivance of ownership, period. The NBA, you've got to be joking. They're just as bad with a a far smaller talent pool. Uh, Major League Baseball? Major League Baseball, the number of players that have gotten into trouble for domestic violence – and the number of times that players have had to come out and apologize and and say that it was a moment of weakness and it'll never happen again. And we've had it here in Boston with the Red Sox. And it was a oh, yeah. guy named Wilfredo Cordero who was beaten on his wife on a regular basis. Uh, granted, that was years ago, but it's it still happened here. It's not like Boston is immune to this stuff. No, but – if a sports league is trying to grow the game, as the commissioner says almost every time he gets behind a microphone, if he's genuinely trying to grow the game, you've got an unfortunately large pool of people who have been victims of sexual or domestic violence who you can provide 32 safe spaces for. Yep. And, and what that, are you doing? You're pretending that Brad Eldridge didn't happen again and still. And, and you're still. pretending it assiduously from with every orifice in your body. And it's not like it just happened at an NHL level. This is a – you want to talk they patterns. Enabled, they enabled him to the point where there was a 16-year-old – there was a 16-year-old victim because they are <clears throat> alleged in – in a lawsuit to have provided a positive reference for Brad Aldrich after the complaints from members of their own organization. Mm-hmm. Go read the stories, people. It will turn your stomach. Wow. The, uh, there's only one way I could picture this have been going, uh, has, have going worse or have gone worse for the NHL, and that's if the Blackhawks took this kid. I, I hope that even they're not that dumb. 
Yeah, I don't know. And we need to change topic at this point, not because I think that this is not worthy of discussion, but because I am too ticked off to keep going on it without violating our rule about swearing or being I completely ticked understand. off the rest of the day. No, I um, understand. This is this is definitely a polarizing topic. So, and you want to? You had mentioned Shea Weber earlier. I got a chance to look at the story, and this is and both, at least from a fan perspective, in some ways, very expected of hockey, um, and very unfortunate. Very expected. Guys playing through injuries, like. Oh, yeah. Guys playing. I mean, every ridiculously serious injuries at the end of every playoffs. How many? I mean, you know which one I'm going to bring up Bergeron and his collapsed lung during the Stanley Cup. Joe Thornton not even being able to put his jersey on by himself uh, in the playoffs uh, eight, nine years ago and still taking the ice every shift, still winning faceoffs right, left and center still making excellent passes and protecting the puck. Yeah. Because he had a separated shoulder or possibly it was two separated shoulders that year. And and, I mean, in, in, in a, in a serious microcosm, just look at the 45 seconds or one minute of ice time that, uh, that Gregory Campbell spent on a broken leg on a penalty kill with no stick. And that'll tell you all you need to know about hockey players right there. So, yes, when I when I read this about Shea Weber and, you know, I'm a huge Shea Weber fan, have been since his days back going way back to Nashville and before. And and, and I'm still upset that he never won a Norris Trophy. But that's so to read that he's not going to play next season and potentially that he could be done. That to me was that was crushing. I mean, this is a guy who good for the league doesn't say a lot. But when he does speak, it's worth listening to. And as far as leadership goes and leading by example, I mean, he's dealt he's been dealing with ongoing ankle, foot, knee injuries. And now apparently there's a thumb injury that that's. potentially ongoing and, and not healed. It's yeah, it's going to be tough to watch a game without him. I mean, this is a guy who had the second hardest by what? 0.3 miles per hour. Second hardest shot in the NHL behind Chara. Absolutely. Between, you know, Chara at 108.8 and, and Shea was 108.5. And this is a guy who, when he lines up to take a shot on a power play, you literally see players diving out of the way. <laughs> His leadership on the ice, off the ice, it, it, he's going to be missed. He is going to be missed. And I don't know how they're going to replace him. Uh, he's just... Uh, he's going to be I don't know if he's going to come back Uh, there are stories out there about uh, stories about you know could they Kucherov him but 
I don't think this is a situation of Kucherov because I don't know if he's going to be able to come back. So, Mark Bergevin, unfortunately, more hockey decisions to be made, but he's going to have to make hockey decisions and he's going to have 7.8 something million dollars worth of salary cap relief that he's going to be able to spend. So this is a guy who, you know, while we're not happy about his drafting, uh, I don't want to get back into that, but he's done a lot of good over the last, and we weren't sure what happened to the real Mark Bergeron at times, but he brings in, Josh Anderson and he brings in Corey Perry and and he's got youngsters like Cole Caulfield and and Nick Suzuki and it's starting to look like a really good team. He's got to continue that trend. So one of the things that's also that's always interesting to look at is where Shea Weber was drafted in that 2003 draft number 49 second round pick. I believe just a couple of picks after Patrice Bergeron. Um, and yes, this is a huge this is a huge crossroads for that franchise because not only is Weber uh, seriously injured, not expected back next season at all, uh, whether they decide to do the uh, do their Tampa Bay impersonation um, or not, um, they also have to, they also have to have concerns about Carey Price. He had a bunch of injuries, or he had some injuries that are going to at least have a slow recovery. Well, he's had, he's had knee surgery. He's expected to be out eight to 12 weeks and should be back for the beginning or right around early weeks of the season. Uh, But they can at least look to Jake Allen to fill the void and they'll have Caden Primo to back him up most likely. And if, if, Carey Price comes back, yet you have to play him. I mean, this is a guy who finally made it to a Stanley Cup final after how many years? I mean, he's been an MVP, he's been a Vesna Trophy winner, but he's never been that deep in the playoffs. And for the most part, he looked really good doing it. I mean, certain guys get there and have up and down, up and down uh, playoff appearances. Um, I can't. It's really hard to look at what Carey Price did this year and blame him. I mean, a 924 save percentage in the uh, in the playoffs is his highest going back to what was it the 17-17 playoff season? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's well above his career average uh, of like 917. Um. So yeah, this is this was a good year for him. If he can come back healthy, um, whether it's five games into the season or ten games into the season, um, that's great. But I even mean, at, honestly, at his salary though, if he misses ten to ten twelve games, that's still more cap flexibility you have. Maybe <laughs> you sit down with him over the course of the summer and say, look. We want to go all in while you're still here. Why don't you take an extra two, three weeks off and we'll put you in just before American Thanksgiving. Uh, expect you to be back so you don't rush yourself, don't hurt yourself. 
And that's going to give us, I mean, if you were 10% of the way into the season, that's an extra million in cap space. No argument there. And, and again, like I said, as I said before, you know, Bergeron's got with this relief, with this cap relief that he's going to get, he is he's in a good position to make some acquisitions. And we know that he's not shy about sending players uh, offer sheets. Uh, Sebastian Ajo still trying to figure out how Mark Bergeron got his address. But, you know. <laughs> It's it, he he he's made some really good moves, and they've already got a projected cap space of fourteen million. So it's not like they. I mean, they still have some players to sign, but so does everybody else in the league, with the exception of I don't know the Blackhawks. But he, if he can continue the trend of smart decisions, and clearly he was derailed. We're not going to get back into it. But as I said before, the smart decisions, the the, Cof- the drafting Caulfield, the Suzuki trade, the Anderson trade, uh, to Foley and and Josh Anderson. I mean, wow! Like we were saying, where who are you and what did you do with the real Mark Bergevin? This is a guy who it, he's got another opportunity to do more to improve that team. He's got to jump on it. As much as I hate to. Shea Weber not playing. Oh, he has to. And finding someone who can eat the minutes. Uh, well, that's the other thing is he's going to have a to find. similar level or a combination of players who can contribute at the same. And I, I, I said this during the draft possibly or during the season or postseason. Almost certainly the most important player for a non-developed player for them to re-sign this offseason is Corey Perry. And it shouldn't be a problem re-signing him at this point. No. Uh, I mean, yes, John Merrill. Well, no, there really isn't a second. I I don't even know who would be second. I mean, Jess Berry, Kokanemi, yes, he needs to be re-signed. Yeah. And you probably want to re-sign Arturi Lekkanen as well. Thomas and Tatar, I don't know. I think, they're gonna, sure. I I think he's going to be gone. I'm not sure I was impressed. I don't think I was impressed by him in the playoffs. I don't remember watching a shift uh, in the finals and saying, oh, wow. But then again, he only played five games of the playoffs this year for them. Is it as odd to you as it is to me that they're actually looking forward to the return of Jonathan Drouin? <laughs> They Even, are, and I'm and I'm oddly weirded out by this. I don't I don't understand. It's not like the guy has been given the light. quirks of that man's career. Yeah, it's it, it's a weird one. It's not lights. It's not the it's it, yeah. It, it, he's not lights out. He hasn't been uh, anything that what they were expecting. I mean, he's shown flashes of brilliance, but that's about it. And yet they are actually talking about you know. The fact that Jonathan Drouin's returning and they sound excited about this. It's like, okay. Uh, I mean, if it's for his mental well being and make it sound, you know, make it exciting that he's, you know, they're excited that he's coming back and maybe that'll put him in a good space or something, I guess. But. Or maybe just a good enough space for them to trade him. (laughs) Maybe. I mean, but that's one of the Bergevin 
questionable moves. You traded Michael Sergachev for Jonathan Drouin. Oops. Because how much would Sergachev fill a void now with the absence of, and, and I'm not comparing him to Shea Weber at all, but how much void would he, uh, how much of that void would he fill if Sergachev was still there? He he would fill a good amount of it. Yes. So Montreal and and and, and Bergevin, they have some work to do, but they've also got the money to do it. Uh, which uh, I don't want to digress too far, but you wanted me to ask a question because I asked it, and you said you wouldn't give me the answer until now. But since we mentioned salary cap, you said that there was one team that was. Uh, <clears throat> Not in salary cap or, or uh, the clearly best winning the salary, winning uh, the salary cap. That's what it was. Or winning the flat cap. Yes. Winning the flat cap. Who is winning the flat cap? It's the it's the uh, Arizona Coyotes. It's not even close. Look at the number of players they have picked up in exchange and picks they have picked up in exchange for future considerations. <laughs> they got picks in this year's draft. They got picks in next year's draft. Um, and Shane we're talking, <laughs> they got Shane Gostas bear, uh, and lost, lost OEL's contract. They traded out OEL and, um, I mean, it's Connor. sad that it's sad that Connor Garland is gone. I think that given their druthers, they might want to hang on to him. I mean, he is a, he is a good player, but uh, an unhappy player in your system is not as valuable as a happy player. Was he unhappy? With, uh, literally, he was the most rumored to be traded player all season for Phoenix last year. There is no way he wasn't unhappy. But that's because he was the only one worth trading. I mean, yes, no. okay, Kessel, no. is, Kessel is a good player, but as far as young, that's not going to be But OEL, I mean, OEL was rumored at the beginning of the season, and he said, look, at this date, it's over. And he wasn't really talked about again, even at the trade deadline. Mm-hmm. I think he wanted maybe he has kids. I haven't really paid that much attention. And he wanted them to be able to finish the season uh, or there's the school year where he where they were in uh, in Arizona. Um, at this point, he's 30. So, yeah, he probably does have a kid or two. Um, it uh, he wasn't talked about anywhere near as much as Connor. Uh, as Connor Garland. And while I would rather look, I've been a big OEL fan forever. And we're yeah, not and you're not the only one. I, I like OEL as well. Is he declining though? He, I don't know. I, I mean, he played the seven, he played all of the 17, 18 season. He played all but three games of the 16, 17. Um, I mean, most of his career he's played, He's missed five games or less, it looks like. Uh, I mean, you go back to the 10-11 season. He started off in Sweden and the AHL. 11-12, he played 82. The 12-13 was the lockout shortened season. He played all 48. 80 games, 82 games, 75, 79, 82, 81, um, 66. So, he, so he's durable. He's durable. 769 games since he started. Um only 25 playoff games, but that's not entirely in his purview. Um, my question is, what the heck 
Vancouver is going to do. I don't know. Because his contract is ridiculous. No, no, no. Forget his contract. It's who they don't have signed right now, which is six or seven roster spots and uh, Elias Patterson. <laughs> Elias and, Patterson is signed. I like signed. that. And Elias Patterson. <laughs> Elias Patterson isn't signed. Connor, Gar- Connor Garland isn't signed. Yeah. Um, they have four defensemen signed. Um, they're probably they're definitely losing Alex Edler. Um, Travis Simonic is not signed. He's a UFA. Uh, quite frankly, I don't remember seeing Jalen Chatfield play. Quinn Hughes um, and isn't signed. Some, some kid named Hughes is also uh, unsigned. Wasn't he like a number seven pick in the draft or something? Who? Quinn Hughes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and another of his brothers was drafted this year. Yeah. We'll uh, dive in. We'll dive into family family in a in a minute. But this Vancouver thing it, it, it has got me a little bit. Uh, what is? And I'm assuming that our 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 friend is still in charge there, Mr. Jim Benning. Oh yeah, he is. Look at that. So Jim Benning has got some work cut out for him uh, because he's going to have to. And Connor Garland is arbitration eligible, although Pedersen is not. And neither is Hughes. But you're still talking. You're still talking a massive need to sign people. And assuming assuming that Hughes and not uh, leaving Hughes out of the equation because he's not eligible yet. And he's really only played what? Uh, he can't. He can't be tendered in Yeah, he hasn't he's only played, played 130 enough. games. Right, he hasn't played enough, so he can't be tendered an offer sheet. But let's just take, let's just take Pedersen and Garland. They have at this point, um, they're listed at 18.8 for free cap space. Assuming you get off only paying. Nine million for the two of them, four and a half or so apiece, or maybe you go five wait, for who, one. For wait, wait, wait. Who's getting four and a half? I, I'm being obscenely optimistic in this case. Hughes, four and a half. Not Hughes. We're we're not. We haven't even gotten to Hughes. Oh, okay. He's only played 130 games. I don't so, think they're going to pay him that much yet. No, we we'll left. Okay. We're talking Elias Patterson. Yeah, four and a half. Okay. And Connor Garland. Okay. Twenty-two no. and twenty-five. So you hoping to get both of them for a combined nine million? You do live in fantasy land sometimes. No, that's half of your free space. Oh, to okay. To get those two. That's that's minimum. Pro, that's the minimum I project. Minimum. Okay. Fair enough. Assuming, and that still that still leaves you with. Oh. That bunch still only leaves you with 11 forwards and four defensemen. A bunch of players to sign and $9 million to do it. Um, Alex Edler played fairly high up in your defense, and theoretically that's covered by Oliver ekman Larson. But so did Tra- Travis Monick, eight minutes. Whether you're re-signing him or not, um, only you levy. As an RFA, I I mean, he's only played 
23 game. He played 23 games with Vancouver last season. I mean, he's not getting a huge raise. Connor Garland. Uh, Connor Garland was making three eight on his most recent contract. Uh, no, sorry, long term contract. His last contract. Uh, no, I've got Travis Simonic. Sorry. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm going to say Connor Garland. Wow. Travis Amonic was somehow at 1.2, but I think he'd been bought out uh, previously uh, by New York. Uh, no, probably by Calgary. Uh, but realistically, are you really, really expecting to get him for less than two, two and a half? <sighs> assuming you can keep him or whatever cost of replacement is. Well, considering, yeah, he stepped down for that one-year deal, uh, but he was making three eight prior, as you said. Uh, you're probably looking, so, you're probably looking at something north of two at the at the lowest. You're, you're looking at somewhere north of two. I don't know how much of a raise he's due. I mean, he played 38 games, 10 points. I, he wasn't bad for Vancouver. He could yep. contri- he could command closer to three. And depending on how long you give him, how long you spread it out for. I mean, if you give him four, if you give him a four-year deal, I mean, he's thirty years he's old only now. 30. It's not right. like he's, it's not like he's decrepit. Nope. Uh, and so yeah, the, the, Benning's got himself a lot of issues going on right now, money-wise and personnel. I understand the Coyotes only because it, the number of players they actually have signed compared to how much money they have. I mean, I was looking at teams like down the bottom that are below the, the cap floor. And you look at them and you say, oh, Detroit's got 39 million projected cap space, almost 39 and a half. They've only got 25 players signed out of 50. <laughs> so. Yeah, while they have a lot of money, they have a lot of players to sign. They've literally got six forwards signed under contract. Uh, and then you're looking at they've got four defensemen who have contracts. Uh, the the bonus is that they have their two goaltenders signed for next year, and one of them is Nedeljkovic, who at 25 years old, he's only making $3 million this year. And next, nice acquisition from from Carolina for a third round pick in Jonathan Bernier. I mean, that's, that's a deal. I mean, if you want to give Eisenman any kind of slap on the back, there you go. Cause Nedeljkovic has shown that he can be a number one. I mean, if you want to look at cost per minute of ice time, Travis Hermonic was 16, just under $1,700 guys in the same range were Mark Pissick, um, say, uh, who was two years younger. Justin okay. Hole, who's two years younger. Okay. Um, Hole had more points uh, last year. Okay. But not by many. Um, Osterley, uh, Jordan Osterley uh, was a little bit more expensive. Two years younger. He was a quarter of a million more. Justin Braun was slightly more expensive and far fewer points. Um, Jamie Alexiak, who was my WTAF uh pick for the Seattle uh, group. Jamie Alexiak? Yeah, he was. Yeah. 
Um, he played about 2028 <laughs> to Harmonix 1922. He was over $100 more expensive per minute. Um, so if I think Alexiak might actually be the be- a good comparable. Uh, 21, uh, 2.137 uh, million was what they paid him. Or was what he was paid last year. Um, you got Luke Shen and Jared. I mean, there's not. I mean, it's this is not favorable math for Vancouver. No. I, we heard talk about a Pedersen possibly being traded during the year. <laughs> I I don't understand wanting to do that. Um, uh, I'm no, not no, it makes sense to me. No, I I'm still wrapping my head around that one too. Um, but we can just go ahead and say, okay, that would be there's there's at least twenty teams who would line up to take him. Um, yes, you have Brock Besser ahead of him, and you've got Bo Horvat, who's probably uh, who's a very similar player, but a couple of years older. Uh, they were going to trade Besser at one point, were they not? They, yeah, oh, Besser was another guy who was going to be traded, but, you know, he led the team in scoring last year. I thought Besser was the rumor last year, and, like, for a long period of time, it was Besser was going to get moved, and, or was it Horvat? Now I'm confused. Actually, I think both of them at one point, but, yeah, Besser was supposed to get moved, and I'm sitting there going to myself, why are you going to move all this young talent? I understand that it gets expensive. I get it. But isn't the young talent that's producing for you the talent you want to keep uh that's the theory unless of course you can get something better um and yeah you're going to have trouble keeping all of the young talent remember they picked up nate schmidt a couple of uh last year or the year before um and he's not going to be cheap to keep um you've got young goaltenders who are going to be heading out of their bridge contract or second contract soon in uh thatcher demko Something tells me Thatcher Demko they're going to try and keep around. Just they a, did resign him for a decent contract for a couple of years. Nothing explosive, but uh, certainly not poor. Well, that works. Yes, Demko is signed for five uh, five per for the next. Oh, there you go. So he's good. Holpe is in the last year, going into the last year of his contract, which could explain all of the stories I read talking about Braden Holtby coming to Boston, but eek. Only only if he brings Elias Patterson or Brock Besser with him. Agreed. Well, there is one other guy I wouldn't mind having. Oh? <laughs> well, it's, you know, defenseman, we could, you could. Oh, Nate Schmidt. Some... Nate Schmidt would be, Nate Schmidt would be fun to watch in a Bruins uniform. Seriously, if they bring the Nate Schmidt that played for Vegas. Uh, Apparently, though, what happens at Vegas uh, stays in Vegas. Okay, got it. Didn't see that one coming. I set myself up. (laughs) I really did. So how does Washington re-sign Ovechkin when they only have nine million nine point seven and he was making nine point eight? Just a, it's a curiosity question. We don't have to dive into it. I just happened to be looking around and saw that 
he was making 9.8 something and they only have 9.7 left under the cap. So how are they going to resign Ovechkin? Just that's all. There's almost no way he's not resigned. Oh, they're going to resign him. How much of a discount is he willing to take? Uh, it's just it, literally uh, it's effectively inconceivable that he's not wearing that his next NHL jersey is not the same NHL jersey he's worn his entire career. I understand he's not going anywhere, but is he willing to take $8 million? I mean, he is, what, 36 years old now, 37? Uh, they've got issues. I mean, they've got no goalies signed either. Well, they've got Craig Anderson. He's not signed. He's a UFA. Oh, then they've got no goalie signed because Samsonov is an RFA. That's uh, somewhat of an issue. That's a sticky wicket there. Okay, then. Uh, Well, I mean, they could go into the season with Copley Phoenix or Phoenix Copley and Zachary uh, Fakali. I would not even try to compare them to Swayman and Bladar. Uh, I'm not even sure I would compare them to goalie Bob and uh, Manny Fernandez at this point. We are spiraling down. We need to get back on track. We are spiraling <laughs> down. Um, I noticed in a, this started during the – or my noticing it started during the expansion draft. Uh, it continued with some of the trades made uh, over the course of the last 10 days. And, of course, uh, the, the NHL dra- entry draft jumped on this one hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Brothers Act that so many teams are pulling. Um, we have the Jones Brothers together. We have the Docs uh, drafted by the same team. We have the Flurries. We now have the Macars uh, in the same organization. Is this just chasing skill where you found it before? Because it's, I mean, this isn't a new trend. We've seen it a lot. I mean, this draft was a lot about and not nepotism, you know, family Family nepotism, I guess. Family connections. A lot of sons of fathers were drafted. Brothers of brothers were drafted. Um, The Jones brothers were both traded there. And the Flurries were both draft were both expansion drafted. They were already in the NHL on different teams. I don't understand some of it. I, I, I get if you watch Kirby Doc and you see what he was capable of and his size and his what he can possibly bring for the future. And Colton Doc is supposed to be in a similar vein, although wasn't drafted as high as Kirby. I, the question of I- why is just so big. Because the Macar brothers, I didn't even know there was a Taylor Macar until this draft. And the Jones brothers, they were drafted pretty far apart in terms of raw number, a draft number. And yes, um, Seth definitely wanted out of out of uh, Columbus and was. I don't care what anyone says. The biggest prize of this offseason. Clearly, he liked John Tortorella, and when they get, when John went, he decided he was going to go too. Um, <laughs> I don't. Know I had that someone on sure. Twitter trying to convince me that Dougie Hamilton was going to be better. Was better than um, Jones? That literally better than Seth Jones. Um, better that, how? 
drugs. I mean, the pharmaceuticals involved here just uh, boggles the mind. So, <laughs> admittedly, it seems that everyone else realizes this because the person tweeting at me had like six followers. <laughs> Better than Seth Jones. The prize of this offseason was Seth Jones. I don't even know. I'm trying. I'm racking my brain trying to find like a second place. But no, the prize was Seth Jones. And Chicago is trying to rebuild. Chicago is trying to jump the line in the rebuilding process. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we haven't heard anything about Jonathan Taze in months, but Mm. they dump. uh, They they dump. Keith, which surprised the heck out of me. Well, they had to dump the money so they could afford Seth. I mean, did you see the contract he got? I saw the contract he got, and nine I, and a half per. Nine and a half per. Um, Damn. For a long time. A, a, a contract well worth it. I mean, this kid is going to be your corner. This kid is going to be your cornerstone D man for, for the next half decade minimum. So definitely a contract worth paying, but it's still a big contract. Uh, uh, I mean, Seth Jones is only 26 years old. Yeah. If, if, only. If, if you're going to try and make an argument that there's a better defenseman out there, don't use Dougie Hamilton. Um, Caleb Jones, yes, he played on the top pairing fairly consistently for Edmonton. Okay, uh, let's stop and think about that Edmonton. statement. Uh, that's what I was going to say. Let's stop and think about that statement. It's Edmonton. Top pairing D-man in Edmonton. I mean, it's like saying you're the second pairing D-man in anywhere else, except for a few teams. Um, I, mean, I, I like reports. I didn't watch a lot of Edmonton games, but. He I like had the Jones brother. In Thirty-three games. Did not play in the playoffs. I don't know if that's because of uh, health issues, uh, where he only got into thirty-three regular season games, or just the fact that Edmonton was terrible in the playoffs and got bounced early. <laughs> and they were. They. They. Edmonton was terrible. Edmonton and terrible in the same sentence. Hmm. Okay, I'll go with that. <laughs> Edmonton and terrible, yes. Uh, but as far as – is Taylor McCarr going to be playing with his brother? Uh, uh, Caleb? Oh, uh, Taylor uh, McCarr's? Yeah. I, I think I, so you've probably got at least a year or two before he's even in the NHL, I, unless he's legitimately as gifted a skater as his brother. You had asked me at one point if I thought the Flurries were going to play together. I mean, my – I, I I don't think Ron Francis is trying to turn this into a, into some sort of sideshow, but is it possible that you could see the Flurries playing together at least for a couple of games early in the season or maybe for the first couple? Of, I, I, I think of all of the brothers that we've talked about, that's the most likely pair to regularly take shifts together. I think they're the closest together in actual talent level. So they'll both be third third pairing defensemen? I didn't actually list their their level, but given the rest <laughs> of that team's D, it, it could work out that way. And that would still be a stronger than most third pairing. Mm-hmm. But 
Yeah, I mean, Seth Jones and Kale McCarr are two of the... Using a really soft measuring, and I'm not going... If someone wants to argue with me in comments or on Twitter, uh, come on, let's do it. Um, Two top 20 defensemen, at worst. Um, It's hard to be at that level. It's very hard to be at that level, and it's hard not to hurt your team if you're playing well above your level. And let's face it, Caleb is two years younger than Seth. He might make a leap forward in where he's projected and expected to play. He still only played in 93 games. And just looking at it, he played 33 games, as you said, with Edmonton, but he also played 14 in Bakersfield. So I don't think it was an injury thing with him. I think it was just he was making the the, I think he was sent back down. He was Uh, or whichever. But I mean, played a total of 47 games in this past season, of which you know, the regular NHL season was only 56. So I don't think it was an injury thing. Uh, the way the way that Seattle has the flurries listed, they have Hayden on the they have Hayden on the actual roster, whereas. Uh, Kale Flurry is listed as in the minors because he's, an, I don't know if it's because he doesn't have a contract, he's an RFA, or because of his age or what, but uh, they don't I have think, them both listed on the active roster together. I, I mean, this is Cap mm-hmm. Friendly's projections in the offseason. Oh, okay. Um, I think once we, if it, if it still looks that way two weeks before or a week before the opening game, I'll take it a little more seriously. Um, but yes, they have, I think we're going to see them make some trades before the start of the season. I think there's still a lot of trades to come. I mean, as you mentioned, we have the free agency coming up, free agency coming up and and specific to care, specific to Seattle. They have seven signed defensemen, um, Giordano, Alexiak, Larson, Susie, Fleury, uh, Hayden, um, Curtis McDermott and Jeremy Lozon. But Vince Dunn, William Borgen, and Dennis Cholosky are still unsigned and projected at the NHL level, which isn't that surprising. I believe uh, Kale Fleury is still going to be um, a waiver exempt, which is probably why he's uh, projected where he is uh, at and present. That, and, and I get that. It makes sense. I mean, he that doesn't said, say he's doesn't say he's waiver exempt, but I don't know. That said, there's a lot that needs to happen uh, before the season starts. Um, yes. I, I still think that Vegas needs to pick up some speed. <laughs> they do. They have. I'm not disagreeing with you. It's just that we keep coming back to Vegas and their speed because they obviously have the ability to score. They obviously have the ability to defend. So their issue is not in their actual hockey skills. It's getting to the puck and getting away from the opponent. Yes. Um, I think that Boston still needs a third center. I I don't think that there's any an answer in the system. I don't don't think that any of the draft picks. You don't see Coyle uh, as as being that third center. I I still think he looks better on the wing. 
Um, maybe you find him the right wingers, and he's and he elevates as center. Okay. Maybe, maybe if one of my favorite players on the team uh, can uh, can um, maybe work on his footwork a little bit, he can play that third line center at the right level. But I don't know if Sean Corelli is even going to be back, much less playing center on the third line. Um, and let's face it, neither Coyle nor uh, Corelli is really an offensive minded player. Um, if those two are two of your three players on your third line, what does your fourth line look like? I mean, uh, Wagner, Frederick and Lazar, that's not bad, but you're not going to depend on, I mean, are you even looking at a total of 50 goals between the two lines all season long in 82 games? My answer, okay. no. And I think that you probably need, in order to be a really competitive team, based on what we know of their top six, and we still don't have a, a, a second-line center because Krejci is unsigned at this point, um, I still think you need a – you probably need closer to 70 or 75 goals uh, based on everything else with this team. Okay. And that's – I mean, that's – 75 may be a little bit of a stretch, but that still only works out to – that still works out to under one goal a game across 82 games for six guys. Or for six roster spots. So, I mean, just to finish off the brothers, the Makars actually won't be playing together, like you said, for a while. Taylor is actually following his brother and heading to UMass. So is this just a situation where they're hoping that, I mean, he was a seventh round draft pick. Yeah, I mean, some of that is some of that is just the family ties. I think a big part of some of this, very few people came out of the pandemic saner than they went into it. <laughs> Interesting way of putting it, but okay. Um, I think that some of the teams are looking at the potential for this to happen again in the next five, eight years and saying, if we can put, if we can give some of our players at least one person that they are a hundred percent comfortable talking to off the ice. We make them, we improve their mental and theoretically physical health. Um, and we are safer as an organization and those players are safer as well. Uh, because, you know, with, with people not going to the rink as much, whether it's for the off season workouts, uh, or just not the same level of physical contact or a closeness in the locker rooms. I would want to build in some sort of, I would want to build in additional layers to the safety net as well. And I really think that that's part of the calculation here. Okay. Uh, it, fair enough. I'm, I'm, you asked the question about what's with all, why or what's with all, and it just says why. And I'm just trying to figure out, the whys and wherefores, because I mean, we're looking at Chicago taking Kirby and then taking Colton and 
the devil's taking the devil's um, taking a Hughes boy Third taking Hughes. Luke after well after taking Jack a couple of years ago now they've got Luke uh, who's heading off to university so he's not going to be with the team but again it it's like the Macar you know you you send them off to school for a year or two and then you get them back they've they've gotten a little bit bigger they've gotten a little stronger they've got a little more experience under their belts i think it's also hoping that you hit on on the 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 talent level being in the same ballpark as the player that they already have uh, yes, I mean historically that's not ever been true, but it's nice to see optimism. Well, yeah, but hey, I mean, I mean Wayne Gretzky does have a brother who played, if you remember him. Did Keith play? Keith played. Well, there's something to be said for playing hockey, sure. Um, did he I have the say, same numbers as his brother Wayne? Not really. No, not really. No. No, not not quite. Um, and we can go back, and there's a lot of brothers of NHL players who were drafted. Oh, yeah. And then we had the, the nepotism continued with the fathers and sons because you had, as we, talk, as we talked about pre-show, you got Josh, Josh Doan, Shane Sun going to uh, Arizona. You've got uh, Brian Boucher's son, Tyler, getting drafted by Ottawa. Uh, I think that the family dynamic is one of those things that the NHL at least tries on a fairly regular basis as a whole to play, to pay more than lip service to, um, admittedly the three to the two to four years that we could see between a, a, a player drafted this year, uh, going to college and actually hitting an NHL roster are pretty high, but for the guys whose fathers are in a system, yeah, that's, that's huge. I mean, just being a sanity check, uh, or again, someone you can be comfortable going, going out to lunch with on a regular basis. Um, it's pretty big. And it all wraps around that common theme of this draft was, it's so hard to scout and flat, and so any opportunities you could have to get additional information. So if it is fathers of sons, brothers of brothers, whatever that may be, you use that information and made the picks accordingly. Absolutely. Um, here's uh, Jake Vertanen. It looks like he's going to be bought out by the Vancouver Canucks. Really? Um he only played in 38 games this year, had five goals, but last year he was at 18 goals. Uh, previous year, 10, 15, uh, 15 and 10. Is this someone the Bruins should take a flyer on and maybe try and slide him into that third, uh, into that third line, six one two twenty six, right wing? Yes. Yes. I kind of had a feeling you'd say that. Um, what are you yes. willing to pay for him knowing what he Not produced last year? <laughs> Not a lot. I like Jake Rattanen. I really do. But how much did he make last year? Uh, off the top of my head, I don't remember. But why don't we no. call it one point? If you, if the Bruins can sign him for 1.75, what do you say? 
Yes. Uh, if they sign him for two point eight. Oh, um. Da, 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 da. Wait a minute. Uh, How are they buying him? Oh. He's, he's, no, his cal- current- his cap hit was or his cap hit was two point five and a and a half. Right. So Is that, if you're going to give him to me for one point seven five, yes. If you can get him for around the same as what he's currently getting, two and a half. I don't know how much of a raise he's going to be expecting. Mm. But, I think uh, he almost has to know he's going to need a show me contract. Um, right. So you give him a 1. year. 1.75 to two and a quarter. I'm good. I'm good with it. Yeah. Um, call it a day and I'm a happy man. I like Jake Bertanen. I always And have. it would actually get us a little bit more size into the middle of the roster. He's not, and, a, he's not a small young man. That's for sure. No. And if he can play higher, plus he plays both wings. Okay. Mm-hmm. Sixth pick overall in the 2014 draft. Uh, a draft I think we're going to have to go back and look at maybe this summer. Uh, started with Ekblad, continued with Ryan, uh, with Reinhardt, uh, Dreisaitl, and Bennett. Um, hasn't, yeah, I, that's I an mean, interesting draft. He hasn't exactly panned out as the sixth oh, pick. Oh, he hasn't. He hasn't covered himself in glory. That's that's for certain. But then again, the seventh pick is a guy who was just taken in the expansion draft in Hayden Flurry. So, yep. Uh, right, right now, Sam. Right now, Sam Reinhardt's looking. I mean, Aaron Eckblad, obviously, with the injury. But yeah, this would be an interesting draft to take a look at at some point in the next month or so. Because there is there is a name in there that. Mm, Down in the middle of the draft, they're taken by Tampa Bay. Well, look at the second to last pick. Uh, Spencer Watson, uh, I want to say he's played. Uh, Jake Evans was taken uh, fourth from the bottom in this draft. Ah, Jake Evans. I like Jake Evans. Okay. Uh, I think we've actually covered everything on the board this week. Um Ladies and gentlemen, as always, thank you for listening. And yes, this is our third show in less than uh, less than seven full days. So I apologize if we're a little more um, fill a little more filled with filler words than yeah. usual. Uh, I'm slightly under the weather this morning. Chris, anything else before we go? Uh Congratulations to Matt Calvert on a career. He called it and has announced his retirement. Best wishes to him and his family and good luck to whatever he does going forward. Uh, I 100% agree. Uh, Thank you for listening all. Share the show with your friends, family, coworkers, random people you meet on the street. Take care.